Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag One Rental at a Time. Now on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, folks. Michael Zuber, One Rental at a Time, back with his new expert, brand new expert to the channel, Taylor. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, doing great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Always good to see you. Yeah, man, this is going to be a lot of fun. I had a great conversation uh, with you last week. Uh, you are coming to my expert series as someone who has 10 years of experience on Wall Street as a co-founder of an ETF. And uh, we're going to try to educate people on Wall Street. So, uh, Taylor, why don't you give a little bio of yourself uh, just one more time before we jump into topic number one? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, just where I grew up is vastly different than Wall Street. So I'll give you the background on that. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York in a one red light town, wow. literally one red light. And uh, so drastically different. It, I went to college around the New York metro area, did my undergrad and grad work at Iona College, finance focus and all of that. And then right after that, I began working on Wall Street. So I worked at three different asset managers, which are the people that put together the large mutual funds and ETFs that you see on all the exchanges. And so I spent 10 years there, part of it in the New York metro area. And then I also traveled around. I spent some time out in Indianapolis, which is a phenomenal city. Um, most people couldn't point to it on a map, but it is unbelievable. Uh, we loved it there. And now I moved back to upstate New York, not in the Catskills, but just north of Albany, a town called Saratoga Springs. So you have more than one red light in Saratoga Springs? We've, we've got a few here. In <laughs> it's not a huge city, but nonetheless, you know what it is? It's a really cool town because there is a big horse race track here. Oh, okay. And so the month of August is highfalutin. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and a lot of money rolling in and out of town. But otherwise, it's kind of a regular town. Very, very cool. Well, hey, topic number one, given somebody who has 10 years in Wall Street, uh, you know, dealing with big money, uh, both kind of the, you know, the 1% of the 1% and kind of mom and pops, I thought we should talk with just the psychology of investing, um, yeah. both from, from both sides, because I know you've seen all of it. So when I talk about psychology of investing, what jumps out to you? What jumps out to me, unfortunately, is the, the the real returns that people see, the average person sees when it comes to investing. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. JP Morgan, which is one of the largest institutions there are in the financial world, publishes a stat every single quarter. And I think this is a very, very telling stat. Mm -hmm. And they look at all the different asset classes mm -hmm. and what they've done on a calendar year over the past 20 years. Okay. And so they look at averages. Right. So just for context, I'll throw some stats at you. So the S&P 500 over the last 20 years has averaged an annualized 7.5% return. 7.5%, okay. pretty solid. Yeah. The other biggest asset class, actually bigger than stocks, are bonds. Mm -hmm. Bonds, measured by the Barclays Ag, which is the S&P 500 of bonds, averages a 4.8% return. Mm. So those are your annualized returns, 75 for stocks, 4.8 for bonds. Okay. Those are the two biggest asset classes, the two biggest percentages of what people invest in. The average investor's returns, 
this is those that use a financial advisor and those that do not use a financial advisors. Mm-hmm. 7.5, 4.8, average investor returns, 2.9%. Oh! <laughs> Ouch. Yep. Ouch. Yep. That hurts. It's tough. It's tough. It really is. And, and, and not only do they measure that, but they look at all asset classes. I know you're a real estate guy, so they look at REITs. REITs mm-hmm. have averaged almost uh, over 10% per year. Emerging markets, they look at small caps, large caps, everything in between. Everything returns higher than the average investor over the past 20 years, minus commodities. Commodities are the only thing that gets beat. And inflation, because inflation over the last 20 years has averaged 2%, not 8% where we're at today. But the average investor barely beats inflation. Well, we need to talk about this. Um, because we you get, we, so this is so awesome. This is why you're one of my experts going forward every Monday. Um, <laughs> this is why Warren Buffett says just buy the flipping index, right? Just buy spy and, and yep. low, low cost index fund. I think he talks about, was it fidelity? All, he talks about one all the time, but it's like, yep. just stop it. People, you are actually hurting yourself trying to be a stock picker. Yep. That's so, so let crazy. me push back on that idea. Sure. Please push back on that. So I actually don't believe that the average person should just invest in the index and awesome. realize in, okay. in, a, in a stock index. Ah, and here's why. Okay. Here's why. Because I don't think based on all of history and human psychology that people are able to keep their butts in the seats through the tough times. That's exactly right. Yes. I, all these people talking about averages and this, that this is for the same thing in real estate. I mean, it's the same deal, right? My market of Fresno, California fell 75%. You know, the easiest time for wow. me to pick up deals was at the very bottom because everybody right. was scared. I mean, right. I bought a house for $28,000 that was on a corner lot in a nice part of town. 28 Come on. grand. Come on. No, 28 grand. Still loaded today. It's worth like 400 grand. Everybody was scared. When the, when it, this, this, all this, I'm going to buy what's on sale. No, it's not. You're going to be, you're going to put your head in the ground and hide. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's human psychology. It's, it's, it's nothing. We are hardwired this way. It's a survival tactic. The emotion that is associated with loss is more severe than the emotion that's associated with gain. And so therefore, you remember the losses more than you remember the gains. Again, this is literally just Darwinism, a survival tactic. You're hardwired this way. And so it's, you know, you say, Taylor, okay, nonsense. No, the proof's in the pudding. Puss, One, absolutely. no yeah. way. There's no way for that 2.9 that gets beat by every asset class. There's no way that makes sense unless people are buying high and selling low. And we can also see when flows are coming and going. The number one day of all time of selling out of the market, the stock market that is, was March of 2020 in the depth of the pandemic. The absolute depth, it capitulated, it bounced, and people weren't there for the bounce. The time before that, Michael, this isn't going to surprise you either, March of 2009. Yeah, of course. At the absolute depth, everyone says buy low and sell high. And, and here's the thing. Yeah. I don't blame anyone. Like, no. here, here, everyone remembers Everyone remembers what, what it was like to be in the, in the pandemic of COVID, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But look back at 2008. Here's a really... A, a really interesting point of just wrapping your head around how bad it was in 2008. Mm-hmm. The Wall Street Journal, the number one financial publication on the planet, yep. on the cover of it, focuses on an article by a Russian professor that says the United States is going to break into six different territories. I remember the that northern article. states are going to Canada. You remember this? I do. This is the number one institution 
financially publication on the planet. And they're saying, watch out, this thing could break apart. And you blame people for selling out of out of the market. Yeah. Like that, that's that's dysfunction at the you know at the highest level. And 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 so, you know, at the end of the day, we know we should buy low, we know we should sell high, but your brain just is not wired that way for the psychological standpoint, and the news doesn't do it any justice either. Well, yeah, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Uh, I, I have a exactly YouTube right. channel, and, and anytime I put a scary headline on there, it gets more clicks. It's just weird how we're wired. So, <laughs> so you know, if, you, if, if somebody's watching this and going, hey, okay, I get it. Maybe I sold out in March of last year. I realized I missed, the, missed 20% of the bounce back. Is there, what would you tell someone who has a full-time job, has family responsibilities? How do they get better at it? Is it recognition? Is it practice? Or is it turning keys over to someone else? What is someone to do? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, the best method is to sit down and one, literally write a plan out. Like writing down a plan makes you stick to the plan and makes it so much more concrete and powerful. And you can look back at the plan and go, I remember exactly what I was doing and why I did what I did. But the other thing is, and this is to my point before, Michael, like I don't agree with Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. I don't agree that the average person, even for a long-term investment, not to mention if you have a you know, a home buy in in the future or whatever else it is. I'm saying even for retirement 30 years out, I don't believe the average person should be invested in stocks because of that loss aversion and people's tendency to sell at the worst time. So I think you need to start to blend in other asset classes. So here's another interesting stat. Mm -hmm. You look back over the last 20 years, this year not included, but 2021 looking backwards, Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, let's look at stocks and bonds. Again, same statistic, 7.5% per year is what the S&P 500 does, Mm -hmm. 4.8% per year is what bonds have done. Mm -hmm. Yet the worst year for stocks over the last 20, they were down 37%, 37 on 7.5. The worst year for bonds, which averaged 4.8%, they were down just 2%. Interesting. So 37% down versus 2%. So what I'm getting at here is over the long term, stocks are going to outperform bonds. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the downdraft and the scariness that bonds present is significantly less than stocks. And here's the kicker. When you combine the two, let's think about this. The year that stocks were down 37% was 2008. Mm-hmm. Bonds were positive 5.7%. Mm. The worst year for bonds when they were down 2% was 2013. No one would even be able to tell you that, but mm-hmm. 2013 stocks were up over 30%. Interesting. Boy, all of a sudden you get an idea that in the years where one's doing really badly, the low correlation between these asset classes causes the other one to hold your portfolio together and keep your butt in the seat through the tough times. Mm-hmm. Why? Because compounding interest takes yep. place. And if you can compound five to 6%, versus seven or 8% in stocks, when you actually get shaken out at the wrong time, if you can actually compound that five to 6% over time, you're going to be vastly far ahead of where you were in stocks when you sold out at the wrong time, try to jump back in at the wrong time, et cetera. So one of the things you're recommending kind of mom and pop, if you will, is to realize that you need to at least some diversification in your portfolio. You need you need bonds, if you will, in this example, to control some of the downdraft, right? To help neutralize yep. some of that 37%, which gives it gives you more staying power. Sure, it takes yep. away some of the upside as well, right? There's the other side of the coin. Correct. 
Correct. right? So you'll miss a 37 or whatever it is on the upside. But again, this is about long-term. You already have a day job, already have a family responsibility. For most of you, it's retirement stuff. Maybe it's a home purchase in 10 years. It's stuff that is out in the future. And I totally agree. I think the best way to do it is I always talk about whether I was in sales with my sales teams or in real estate is I need to control the downside. That's what I need to control. The upside takes care of itself. And if the right answer is to not be all stocks because of the variability, I guarantee you, I'm a lot more likely to sell out with a negative 37%, just call it a day versus negative two. Um, yep. That's, that's very interesting information. If somebody likes what we're talking about, Taylor, how can they find you or where should they go to, to get more information that, uh, like this? Yep. Yeah, so absolutely. So every day on our Instagram channel, we're putting out something and that's at Life Goal Investments. That's broad market topic. It's talking about the psychology of money, different asset classes, et cetera, just general rules of thumb that are generally helpful for the average investor. And that's that's where the best place to, to follow us. And then online, lifegoalinvestments.com is another place where we have some content that gets put out. It's not as frequent. It's not as short in 30 to, to minute long clips that people love, which Instagram's all about. Yeah. So um, whatever you would prefer, go to one of those two. We would love to have you follow us. And again, you'll get a daily update of a little rule of thumb or whatever it might be. That's awesome. And one more time, what's the IG page? At Life Goal Investments. Awesome. Thanks, buddy.